the Oklahoma City Thunder earned a professional win against the Chicago Bulls. SGA looks like the adult in the room, and Chet Holmgren is playing bigs off the floor. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LOThunderPod. Email the show, LOThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the Oklahoma City Thunder, earning a professional win against the Chicago Bulls. SGA drops 40 points again and is the adult in the room for this young Thunder team. Chet Holmgren making a huge impact defensively and showing you his strengths offensively, even as he takes a step back in his shooting splits. And we're going to talk rotation and the rest of this starting five as well. So the Thunder in this game did not have Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. Olivier Saar, Keontae Johnson, both inactive. Davis Bertans, DNP, CD. Usman Jang, DNP, CD, Trey Mann, DNP, CD, and Poku, DNP, CD. Now, Lindy Waters checked in, left after some good defense with some lower back spasms. This does count against one of his 50 games. And as a note, if you are active, and even if you don't play, you will have that game count against one of your 50 games for the Thunder. That's why they had an active uh, Saar and Keontae Johnson. Now, The Bulls had a wild injury report, including Billy Donovan saying that Zach Levine would play, and then the Bulls saying, hey, he's not going to play. Never a good sign when there's that that much communication. Never a good sign in the first go-around between these two teams whenever the Bulls have a players-only meeting, but we digress. Go listen to Lockdown Bulls for what in the world is happening in Chicago. Cason Wallace starts in place of J-Dub again, but the Thunder, most importantly, earn a professional win. This young team continues to defy what young teams are supposed to be able to do in the NBA, what history tells us about young teams and trends when they play, and all of that good stuff. Even some of the best young cores don't pull this kind of playoff. The Thunder get up 18 points in the third quarter. This young team lets it slip away, as you saw against New Orleans earlier this year. You saw against the Hawks uh, earlier this year. It gets to a tie game, twice even a tie game, but the Thunder never lose the lead going wire to wire with a win at home. Going wire to wire, no matter how it looks, is insanely hard to do in the NBA. And what you saw the Thunder pull off and why I call it a professional win is that, yes, this is the second or third youngest team in the NBA, but the Thunder were able to not only flip the switch once they got up 18 and lost the lead, which they couldn't do a few weeks ago, so they've already made the adjustment twice now. Remember, they did the same thing against Atlanta, same thing in this game. But they were able to play complementary basketball. And we talk about this a lot in football, but it happens in basketball too. The Thunder had a sleepy start offensively, but they counteracted that in the first quarter with smothering defense. 
to where the Bulls were stuck in the mud and could not gain traction. Even though the Thunder's offense was by no means clicking by their standards, the Thunder were able to, to overcome that by enhancing a different part of their game because they're so versatile, because these guys are so talented. Now, you flip the script in the exact same game. That smothering defense in the first quarter, nowhere to be found in the third quarter. They lacked that defensive intensity. They lacked that defensive energy for most of the third quarter. That's when the Bulls went on their run. That's when the Bulls tied this game. However, as they slip defensively, they begin to match Chicago points for points, buckets for buckets. And that's how you pull off a wire-to-wire win. And I know that there were flaws. I know there were players who didn't play well. I know that there were ups and downs. It's a game of runs. But you never apologize for winning in this league, especially with what you just accomplished. Now, these are no, by no means the same scenario, but look at Boston. They're a, they're a no-doubt slam dunk title contender. They're a no-doubt slam dunk, one of the best teams in the NBA. There's no disputing that. There's no arguing that. They have top players in this league. They have what it takes to, to get over said hump. And this week alone, they go to the lowly Memphis Grizzlies and they barely eke out a win, they turn around and lose to Charlotte. This is very difficult. It's hard to win night in and night out. It's especially hard to win when you change the formula mid-game, when you change what makes you successful mid-game because that's what the game calls for. Very few teams can do that. Very few teams are able to accomplish that. And despite this team's age, They've been able to. Now, for how long can they defy what is supposed to happen? We'll see. We'll see. The game is not played on paper. Maybe this team is unlike any other in the sports history. But let's worry about that later. For right now, what you're seeing is the foundation for what this team will be. I think that we can get so in the weeds that we forget the big picture of. This team is going to be together for a long, long time. People love the basketball offseason so much that they view it kind of in the realm of, of 2K in the sense of like in 2K, boom, boom, boom. You're simulating seasons. You're going from, from one season to five years in and, and the, the rosters are totally overchanged. The, 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 the trades happen, everything else. And you're looking at those, you know, SPO track spreadsheets and looking at when guys have to get paid, when guys uh, need extensions and, and what they're in line for. And you're forgetting how far down the line that is and how many chances this team will have to break through, how many chances this team will have to adjust what they do, to adjust how they play, to get over the hump with this core. And if this is the starting point, if this is where this team is setting its its baseline, then you should be over the moon excited with this team because you should trust this coaching staff. I think that you have one of the best coaching staffs in the NBA. You should trust this front office. I think even the best front offices in the NBA. And you, without a question, have the best you know, asset pile in the league. You, without question, have a bona fide superstar in SGA. You, without question, have one of the best prospects in the NBA in Chet Holmgren. And let's not forget Jalen Williams. And you cannot discount what it takes for this young team to take care of business. They did it on the road, beating the Warriors when the Warriors were shorthanded. They beat the Warriors when Steph Curry was back. 
They took care of the Blazers on a back-to-back after an emotional game without J-Dub. And now they keep the losing Bulls losing despite a messy middle portion. And you've stolen away six days of rest for Jalen Williams to sacrifice two games. And in those two games, in in that absence, this team was able to go 2-0. Now we'll see if J-Dub is back for that game against the 76ers. Hopefully for the Thunder, he is because you look at this stretch, this next five-game stretch, Sixers Saturday, Timberwolves last in-season tournament pool play game in Minnesota uh, Tuesday, Lakers, Mavericks, Jazz. That is a very difficult stretch that you're going to need Jalen Williams for. And so if you're able to get him back from that hip injury during that time, that makes this run so much more important to not be behind the eight ball, not playing catch up. And it's not only the fact that the Thunder flipped the switch in terms of, uh, you know, not not fully releasing the lead and being able to turn it back on after the team goes on a run. Not only did they play complimentary basketball, but the Thunder changed their physicality level in this game compared to the first time that they played this team. And so you've now seen this Thunder team play the Chicago Bulls once, then play them again. They swept them, they learned, and they course-corrected some things. Physicality, rebounding. This is their best rebounding game of the season, their highest rebound total. They won it 56-43. They did all those good things. You've seen them play the Cavs twice. Even with different personnel for Cleveland, they got two wins. In impressive fashion, by the way, with an epic comeback in game two and a nice home win in game two. and Game one and a nice comeback against Cleveland. You've seen them play the Warriors three times now. Now, one of those doesn't count technically because, I mean, you lost Draymond, you lost Steph, and you saw how different Steph makes this Warriors team. Even if he has a substandard shooting night by his standards, the way that you shade your defense, the attention you give to him opens up the floor for other players. So in the two games Steph Curry played, you saw a different level of how the Thunder play basketball. Now, of course, Shea got back in the second one against Steph, so that helps a ton, but you saw a different level from Chet in that second one. So every chance this team has gotten to see the same opponent again, they've made corrections and they've gotten better. You might not know this, but in the postseason, you play seven games if you're lucky to go all the way in the series, or at least four if you're extremely good and you only need four games. You play multiple games against the same opponent. So that's another great sign for this young team. Now, what will it amount to in April? I can't promise you anything. I can't guarantee you anything. I have no idea. But what will it amount to two years from now? I promise you the foundational things that you're seeing on paper and in the actual game with your own very eyes that are happening right now, you will look back on and say, I was a collective part of watching this team put this all together in a couple of years. And you might be able to say it in April, but again, that'd be bucking a ton of trends for what young teams do. But this other team was able to win points in the paint, win rebounding. They won fast break points. They lost second chance points by four. This Thunder team shot 49% from the floor, 38% from three, and 81% from the free throw line. This is their longest winning streak since January of 2019. Wow. Really good ball movement, really good physicality. Four charges drawn for OKC. A professional win for the Thunder. Coming up, SGA was the adult in the room. I'll tell you why after this.
We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you, talking Thunder basketball. SGA was the adult in the room at a plus 16. Remember, that lead swelled to 18, lost it, and then you were able to comfortably win at the end. But SGA was like plus 16. When the game slowed down, when it bogged down, when it got messy, when it got laxed and, and, and not enough intensity, not enough energy, SGA came in, put his foot down. He's not going to be a rah-rah guy. And by the way, where did rah-rah come from? Did people really used to say rah-rah at sporting events? Let me know. But he's not going to be this insanely vibrant, yelling at you in the huddle guy a lot of the times. But it's his composure and intensity on the court that allowed the Thunder to snap back into it. Put his foot down, took over, drilled shots, and made the offense go. SGA has elite footwork, scored 40 points in this game. 12 assists, 5 rebounds, a steal, 3 blocks, just 2 turnovers. He shot 58% from the floor. 58% shooting to score 40 points, while also being a sensational defender. That is insanely rare. And defense, as Mark points out, is 50% of the game. Shot 33% from 3, 94% at the line, only one miss. He attempted 18 free throws. So you're seeing how this is evolving the way that we were discussing on this show of oftentimes the officials have a point of emphasis. They're really hunkered down beginning of the season, first month, then it tempers off, then you get back to normal, then it evens out and it all comes out in the wash. And hopefully, and of course, 18 is a monstrous number. It will not be 18 uh, most of the time, but hopefully it gets closer to the average of 10 free throws a game last year than not. So. Whenever you look at this Thunder team, it was good to see that leadership and not necessarily in the way that people typically view leadership, right? Typically, people view leadership as like these massive speeches or or whatever, but it was leadership in this is how we play basketball in Oklahoma City. Get back on track. Chet Holmgren showed you how much of an impact he can make even when the shooting splits aren't there. One of the biggest concerns that's not named Josh Giddy for most Thunder fans has been what happens when this shooting regresses. This Thunder team will not shoot as good as they're shooting all season long. And even if their averages at the end of the year are closer to where they're at right now than not, and you want to take a victory lap at that point, you can be guaranteed, rest assured, there will at least be, if not more, a chunk of a season where the Thunder do not shoot the ball at all very well. Sam Presti has been around the game a long time, and I love the way that he broke it down of the sky is going to fall on your team twice a year. The sky hasn't fallen in Oklahoma City yet. It's coming at some point, like it does to everyone in the NBA. But Chet Holmgren did not shoot the ball particularly well, shot 45% from the floor, 0 for 3 from 3, and his worst day shooting at the free throw line. But you would have never known that without looking at the box score. Because he plays the same way, independent of if the shot goes in or not, which is a great sign for a for what you hope is a, a budding star and the second best player on this team. Defensively, he's able to be engaged, independent of if he's 
cooking offensively or if he's getting his offensively, how many bigs do you see that have the potential to be this defensive anchor, but when they're not being fed offensively, they stop playing. They're not engaged. They're not trying. That's not the case with Chet Holmgren. He deters so many possessions and outright ends them. The swat of DeMar DeRozan at the rim, the block of Pat Bev, I'm sorry, Patrick Williams uh, to, to force the 24-second violation. He had four blocks in this game, a steal, 13 rebounds, two, you know, four blocks, uh, a couple steals, four, uh, 13 rebounds. And again, didn't shoot the ball well. But even on an off night, you saw how big he was offensively. We, we, we listened and, 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 and spoke about his defense. But people talk all the time. Chet can't guard so-and-so. Chet can't guard this star. But they neglect the fact that most matchups, and we're not talking no kitchen and beat. Those two guys will dominate everybody in the league. Those two guys are all-time great big men. But you look around the NBA, and there are seldom bigs who can guard Chet Holmgren. And so when the game bogs down, when the game is in a postseason format, Chet Holmgren will be playing his matchup off the floor. It will not be the other way around. You look back at even last you know, play-in game against the Pelicans. Everyone was worried about Jaywell and how is Jaywell going to defend Valanciunas. And the Pelicans started out feeding Valanciunas. That's perfectly fine. Feed him. Take the ball out of Brandon Ingram's hand. Take the ball out of CJ McCollum's hand. If you want to go two point, two point, two point, love it. Because you're going to get tired of doing that. You're not going to maintain that all season long. And Chet, unlike Jaywell, no offense to Jaywell, is going to block a few of those two-point shots and not let them go in. On the opposite end, you're not going to be able to stop Chet Holmgren. You're not going to be able to stay in front of him. You're not going to be able to guard him. And so when you can you know, close out hard, he's going to go right by you. Either get an easy drive to the rim or a nice pass for an open look because your defense is so out of whack. Or, even worse, get fouled for an and one for the other matchup. But he's going to expose very many bigs. How many big men, like look around the NBA, do you see that have awesome defensive numbers and defensive impact in the regular season? They cannot play when you get to the postseason. It's because you run into matchups like chat, and that will result in teams playing into the hands of OKC, playing the style OKC wants to play, which will help the team overall. And that's why, from the word go, the Thunder have viewed Chet as a center. You've known that since draft night. There should be no question. There should be no no wondering, was this always the plan? Can Chet be a center? There's a lot of that from national people of, could Chet be a center? They've told you from day number one, Chet Holmgren's a center. And watching it, over the course of these first 15 or so games. Whatever you think that you give up because Chet's in the middle, you gain much more because Chet's in the middle. So the trade-off is in favor of Oklahoma City. And it will especially be in favor of Oklahoma City when you are looking at those big men who people think can just push around Chet. You're looking at them through the prison of this pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop, screen-heavy offense. The Thunder run, and they're getting exploited by SGA. They're getting exploited by J Dub. They're miscommunicating switches on Chet, and he's popping out for open threes where he's diving to the rim for open looks, and they'll be unplayable. So Chet Holmgren didn't have his best night shooting, still had a highly impactful game on both ends. What a talk about K 
Cason Wallace as well. He is just really smart as a defender, and you mix that IQ defensively with his skill set. And one play that stands out is a quick anecdote. You know, Kobe White's going off. This is during the Bulls' run. The Bulls are fizzing the ball around. It's really good ball movement. He and Kenrich decide to trade off running Kobe White off the line. At that point, Kobe White was 7 for 12 from beyond the arc. They ran him off the line to force him to swing the ball to Javon Carter, who at that point missed the three and became 1 in 6 from beyond the arc. And so with the way the Thunder play basketball defensively and the lineups that they run and the switch-everything concepts that they run, you cannot get fooled with, oh, there's an open three. They're going to have open threes. They're going to be calculated open threes, though. If Javon Carter hits that, you live with it. But you're not going to let the guy who already hit seven get another one. And it worked out that time. Javon Carter did not hit it. He missed it. And away you go. Five points, three boards, a block of DeMar DeRozan, which shows his insane level of rise on these contests. Cason Wallace continues to be a really, really good player. Coming up, let's talk Isaiah Joe, Kenny Hustle, Wiggins, and more. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you, talking Thunder basketball. Isaiah Joe is just awesome. He can get shots off in a phone booth. He does not need space at all. He's in the 99th percentile on spot-up shots. Four-point play for the dagger. He can hit open catch-and-shoot looks. He can hit off movement opportunities. He can just hit the shot, and he comes up in the big moments. He hits big threes. He's also improved defensively. He had a great job stopping a two-on-one fast break, which ended the possession and ended the transition look, which should have been uh, you know, easy points for Chicago. He shot five for seven from three, 20 points off the bench, a rebound, and a block. What Isaiah Joe is able to do as a shooter is insane. He should be in the three-point contest. He told me last year he wants to do it. Uh, the NBA didn't invite him last year. Hopefully, they invite him this year. He is one of the best shooters in the NBA, he is the best shooter from three in Thunder history. Isaiah Joe, Isaiah Joe just gets it done. And that's why he's a lock for the rotation. You talk about roster exploration. You talk about wanting to get developments for different players. Isaiah Joe's the constant. Do all that stuff around Isaiah Joe. Because you are not on this winning streak without Isaiah Joe. You are nowhere close to this winning streak without Isaiah Joe. Speaking of rotations, every time Wiggins gets a chance, he, he provides winning plays, he provides energy, he provides smart drives and finishes at the rim. The Thunder are also unbeaten with, with uh, Kendrick Williams back in the lineup, and he's lighting it up from the floor, from two-point land, from three-point land. He's just not there at the free throw line. I don't know what it is. He wasn't there last year either at the free throw line. Don't want to speculate, but... That's the only area of his game that lacks because he can do all the things that you need him to do to be efficient offensively, except for at free throws. And he does so much defensively with just hard, good contest and switching and switchability and just defense overall. But also he can go and get loose balls. 
He can go and, and do the gutty, gritty charges and, and deflections and all that fun stuff. But when they, when they need a spark, Wiggins and Kenrich are difference makers for this team. Amicic got to play in this game. You know, as expected, right? Like he has not gotten a ton of time. He just wasn't on the same page with, with this team. He had a couple nice passes to Kenny Hustle, which was great. But a few passes went to absolutely no one. But that's okay because you have to figure out these things. And, you know, the Thunder were able to steal minutes and try it. And it almost, you know, backfired because that's when the Bulls went on the run. But they were able to to use this opportunity to try to get him in there. And I, he seemed, sad, he seemed a, a tad uncomfortable off the ball, just from my own observation. But overall, uh, you know, the, the more you give him chances, the more he's going to gel, the more he's going to get comfortable and, like, play better. I think he can really be a good uh, secondary you know, playmaker for the for the bench unit. I just would say, personally, if you put him in the game, use him as the playmaker. Because I just don't know uh, how how effective he's able to be or comfortable he's able to be off the ball. But nonetheless, you know, Misha just got some run. Lou Dort was really good defensively, uh, but he got fouled out. He had a nice clean strip of DeMar and a block of DeMar, but he gave a couple of fouls away on offense. Uh, offensively, he was trying to play make some more this game. You know, I, I don't really know why. And it wasn't it wasn't poor decision-making from Lou Dort, necessarily. Uh, he had a couple shots that you went back. But overall, he was still steady, but just tried to explore that playmaking again. But I think his, his decision-making has gotten better. And then you got to talk Josh Giddy. He's got to let the game come to him. He's got to relax. Like, he is visibly frustrated. It seems like he's putting pressure on himself. But the thing is, it, you know, it, it just... It's not this simple, but I'm going to break it down this simple, and I know it's not right. But he's just got to go back to the basics. Like, keep your dribble alive for longer. Trust yourself to make the decision. Trust yourself in space. Trust yourself in traffic. You are a really good playmaker. Go to the rim like you're almost 6'9". Like, for a long time, Josh Giddy had in his uh, Twitter bio that he was 6'9". Go to the rim like that. Go to the rim aggressive and not in the sense of like automatically just trying to back you down, but just in, you know initiate that contact on the drives and finish through somebody. It'll result in you getting foul calls, getting chips to the free throw line, and uh, just kind of playing more physical like that. And as he's mentioned his own self, be, become that pass first guy again. Look to score second. I, I know that the noise is loud. I know that the criticism is loud. I know you want to prove to everyone that you can score, you can, you can do it. I think if he gets back to the way that he's, you know, designed to play to highlight his strengths, all that other stuff will come to him. All that other stuff will kind of go into the fold. One for three from three, 30% from the floor, six boards, two assists, two steals, only two turnovers, 10 points. You know, one of his best possessions came as a playmaker at the elbow. That's interesting. But I mean, there's, there's, there's no dancing around or sugarcoating it. He's not playing well right now. And I know it gets tiresome to hear it, but it's still very early in the season, and this does not make or break his junior season. But eventually, you've just got to let it go. Like, eventually, you can't get back these first 15 or some odd games. You don't get a do-over. Your do-over is Saturday versus the Sixers. Use that as, like, your hypothetical game one. And just get back to the way that, that Josh plays basketball, in my opinion. MVP of the game is SGA. Look, 
uh, as you guys can probably tell, uh, the, the voice is, uh, is going. I can promise you I'll have a post-game podcast Saturday versus the Sixers. I cannot promise you I'll have a podcast Friday. I'll try my very best. I'll try really hard. But uh, it depends on the old voice box, all right? Uh, still, Saturday will mark, will, mark, will mark five episodes this week. Uh, last week, you know, six. The other week before that, six, et cetera. But we'll see where the voice is at tomorrow. Uh, but until then, until Saturday at least, enjoy your Thanksgiving, enjoy your holidays, be good, and be good to one another.